For the week of November 24th, 2019, this is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are going to discuss The Mandalorian Chapter 3, The Sin, and some Resistance Season 2, Episode 6, From Beneath. And to help me with all that is John. John, how you doing? A little under the weather, but the nice thing about a cold is it's a great opportunity to catch up on some Star Wars TV, so I've had ample opportunity to uh, watch The Mandalorian a few times through and uh, ready to break it all down. Well, this week was especially exciting for me because early on in the week, there was some news that broke from uh, my news source that I got it from was uh, some CNBC that said that they have heard us and that we are getting some Baby Yoda merchandise. So (laughs) you're going to get your Funko Pop. (laughs) I'm going to I'm going to get my Funko Pop. I'm going to buy my nieces, some of those things like, I mean, it's just going to be amazing. But in addition to that. Deborah Chow released, or her episode was released of The Mandalorian, The Sin. She directed it, and boy, did she direct this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was an exciting one. So let's get right into this. The Mandalorian Chapter 3, The Sin. The Mandalorian arrives package in hand to deliver Yodel to the client. The Mandalorian collects his reward of Beskar for his new armor, yet is ridden with guilt and returns to the Empire hideout to save the child. Oh, man, this was some classic shoot 'em up with some family drama. Deborah Chow just captured everything, in my opinion, perfectly. Mm-hmm. Holy cow, this was one episode. Yeah, yeah, This once this one got going, it did not stop. Uh, we had our, yeah, uh, OK Corral showdown, surrounded, out of options moments. We had, uh, yeah, just a, a whole lot of gunplay, a whole lot of surprises. This, yeah, this, this was the culmination of probably our first arc here, right? We've had a bit of a buildup. We've been establishing characters. We've been building the world. And here's where everything that they've been laying the foundation for starts to explode and, and pay dividends. So yeah, yeah, this, this one, uh, this was the one to watch for sure. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about last week is we didn't know how the Mandalorian was going to approach handing over the child to mm-hmm. the client. Because we all had this idea that the Empire was going to do some fishy activity with the child, (laughs) and even he was kind of sensing it. Yeah. But sure enough, he goes to the hideout, he hands over little Yodel, and man, (laughs) like it was, I'm telling you, I was very, very uneasy with this whole exchange here, even though I kind of, you know, predicted that this was going to go down to the point where the Mando even asks, what are you going to do with him? Right. He can't help himself. <laughs> and the client Warner Herzog, basically, it's just like, well, that's very curious. You go through all this trouble to get this and <laughs> you're going to ask that question. Well, he's a little incensed because he's really impressed by Mando. Like, mm-hmm. finally, a real Mandalorian. You might be someone that uh, could solve a lot of problems for us. And then the Mandalorian shows the little chink in his armor. He shows that, no, he's not tough as nails. He's mm-hmm. deep down. He's got a soul. And that totally turns off the Imperial types, right? Like, he's like, okay, well. You just take your best guy and get out of here because, uh, unfortunately, I guess it's harder than I thought to find a true Mandalorian. So, right. um, nice that they could unfold that in a way that didn't feel heavy handed. Like it didn't feel like a whole lot of exposition so much as 
kind of everybody playing their cards close to the vest, but everyone kind of has a beat on each other. Like it's just really good writing when so much of it can be said with the performance and the, the subtle looks and the quiet moments between the dialogue. This was just, this was just a really good scene and yeah. tense and emotional. Cause you're watching baby Yodel get <laughs> taken away to the back room so they can start extracting Yoda juice out of it. Uh, yeah, no, this, this one as a, as a dad, you know, I got a soft spot for, for babies, right? Like <laughs> you can't, you can't help, but project a little bit and uh, yeah, I'm feeling all the feelings <laughs> at this point yeah. in the show. So uh, good on them for just really rousing a whole lot of emotion and anticipation and excitement. Yeah. Well, just from the very start, we have the Mando and his ship and uh little Yodel is trying to play around with the different parts <laughs> yes, of the ship. And yes. it's just, I'm not even, I'm not even a dad. And Oh man, I was like getting emotional watching this whole thing go down. And then especially whenever you, he gets that last glance of Yodel going yeah. into the back room. Yodel just and- chirps a little bit, like just kind of squeaks like, Meh. <laughs> like what, uh, what's, what's going to happen? Like you, even yeah. though, you know, Yodel probably doesn't really know what's going on mm-hmm. as the audience, we know how foreboding, <laughs> you know, the oh, situation yeah. is. So, oh yes. So good. And if you were a dad, you'd know that handing a mm-hmm. kid a little metal sphere Total choking hazard. Like, what are you doing, yeah. Mando? <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, uh, dad, dad moments aside, this uh, as, as build up for the episode for finding the emotional core of the episode, revealing the Mandalorian's true motivations and just showing where his line is, right? Like mm. he's trying to prove to himself that he's tough as nails and that he's all business and that he can do what needs to be done. And he has a greater cause than, you know, this little yodeling, but when it comes right down to it, we, we understand no, you know, he, he may be able to push himself so far, but he can't follow through on that. He really hasn't lost his humanity. And, uh, yeah, though, all that certainly doesn't serve him well because he gets himself into a little bit of trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was just so interesting, uh, watching this whole, whole thing go down and, and watching even Pedro and Pascal, even though you can't see his face, you can't really see what he's doing um, with his facial expressions underneath the helmet, but you can hear so much in his voice. And that's what amazes me the most about that is just the the way he kind of moves the rest of his body and his, uh, the way he turns his head when he's concerned. It it was just amazing. Um, And so Mando turns over this this baby which i thought this was going to be a couple episodes long like i was getting so nervous that i was gonna be left with amando not reuniting with with yodel in this episode and i i'm telling you i was i was kind of getting a little mad i'm just like no i'm gonna i can't watch this like this (laughs) is getting too much um but he collects his uh he collects his reward of a nice container of some beskar and goes and this is so great and this is kind of like the full circle here so the first time we see the mando back in chapter one enter into the underworld no one's paying attention to him right but this time everyone is paying attention to him to the point where they follow him in to the the blacksmith's room which once again this is just so cool that we get to see this portion of the underworld that we get to see this kind of secret hideout of the mandalorians and yeah, we, we kind of predicted this from, from the beginning that he was this man without a name that no one respected him. And obviously that is true. Um, so what did you think about the, these other Mandalorians before we get into the classic shoot em out? Well, I think, I think this scene served a lot of purposes because we, we needed some exposition on the Mandalorian code and how Mandalorians think, because obviously later in the episode, 
they play a, a big part. And so we need to understand why they rallied, why they showed up. And so we learned from this that because they're a scattered people, because, you know, uh, culturally they've been devastated and they're so hung up on trying to rebuild their culture and, and just uh, reemerge uh, as a force in the galaxy, they have this code where it's basically ride or die. Like even if we have problems with each other underground, always a unified front. Like we don't really go up for nothing. But if one of ours is uh, in trouble, ultimately the code trumps our personal feelings. So you have this moment where heavy weapons guy comes out, starts pushing around the Mandalorian, you know, just trying to put him in his place and remind him that he, you know, he ain't the, <laughs> the bee's knees just because he's got his hands on some Beskar and is, is trying to paint the picture of, you know, maybe the reason why Mando has this Beskar is because, you know, he's maybe getting a little too comfy with the Empire and there's no love for the Empire among the Mandalorians. So you get all of this, these, you know, conflicting uh, agendas and, and opinions going on, but ultimately the blacksmith just shuts it all down with a word like, you know, this is the way this, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's bigger issues than this stupidity. So cool it. We're all in this together. And because they have that little moment that you don't realize is really exposition setting up a set piece later, but because they have that and it's kind of satisfying and self-contained, they establish everything you need to understand so that it doesn't feel dumb or tacked on when they come to his aid at the end of the show. So great way to show motivation, great way to set up the rest of the episode. Again, we have not seen writing of this caliber <laughs> in star Wars, maybe ever where yeah. so much is shown, not told. You know, like right. that, that's, that's really what you want is someone that can figure out how to use the pieces on the table to tell the story rather than just have everyone sitting around explaining it to you and Favreau to his credit, right? Like all these initial episodes, he was pretty much working in a bubble. And so a lot of this, you got to lay at his feet that he just really found a subtle voice for the show. That's so effective. It sets up questions to keep you engaged, but it also gives you answers when you don't even realize it's giving you answers. And, and that's, that's just great writing. So another effective scene and a little bit more backstory on the Mandalorian too, which maybe you want to dive into that, you know, the whole, we get another flashback sequence there. Yeah. So basically with this Besco armor, we see, uh, the kind of this theme of these flashbacks and we see that it's implied that his family is killed, which we kind of were right. on that route, but we kind of get that explosion and then all of a sudden open up and we have a huge battle droid right here. So, yeah, so we're yeah, we're getting more into this. Um and then that kind of leads me to this next portion which is uh when before he's getting his armor made, basically the blacksmith asks like, "Hey, I mean, how did you get right. this? Why are you the only one that succeeded?" And he said, "Well, I was helped by an enemy." And she goes, "Well, why did an enemy help you?" He didn't know. So, my thing initially, you're looking at this and my question is, okay, is he referring to IG11? No. Or is he referring to the force wielder? He's talking about Yodel. Yes. Yeah. And so, and so that was kind of my first thing. I'm like, oh, he actually knows a little bit more about his history. And that was another question that was asked uh, last week. And we didn't even know we were going to get an explicit answer. And it was done, like you said, so naturally that he's just like, yeah, I was helped by an enemy. So he does, in fact, know a lot about his history. But what do you think happened in his past? Like what saved him from this? Do you think that this was his clan that saved him as a child in the basement? Or do you think that Twitter's onto something and we're going to see a blue lightsaber go through this battle droids chest? Well, they're, they're obviously revealing it in 
very you know small snippets so that they can continue to reveal mm-hmm. his backstory throughout the the season um so i don't think we're supposed to have that answer yet mm-hmm. and it, it could be anything at this point at this point all we know is that he's staring at a battle droid which you're assuming should take him out within a matter right. of seconds but for whatever reason that doesn't happen is that because yeah something comes and cuts down the battle droid before it has a chance or the battle droid turns away because there's you know, bigger fish to fry elsewhere. We, we don't know what the, the next few seconds hold for young Mando. Um, mm. but nor should we, all right. those backstory elements are trying to do is remind us that the Mandalorians as a culture were devastated, you know, mm. and that feeds into their motivation and why they're underground and why it's so important that they be recovering their armor and be recovering the foundlings and, you know, just trying to build their ranks and restore some amount of dignity. Um, so we get that. And then as a, as a personal aside for the Mando story, we learn that of course, yeah, he's, he's someone without a family. He's someone who's uh, probably had to wander through the galaxy without a lot of support and help and, you know, probably been beaten down more times than he cares to remember. And that serves his character because, it helps us try to understand why he's a little more hard edged, like why he can actually bring Yodel to the empire mm-hmm. in the first place, like why he's pushing himself to kind of be the bad guy and try to be, right. you know, y- you know, like tough. Um, but at the same time, uh, that, that conflict of remembering I was once a kid and I was in peril and, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's just meant to give us little tiny indicators of where everyone's head is at and it's doing that very effectively with again very few words yeah and we've seen of course mandalorians in the past through canon that are good-hearted individuals they're not all this kind of cold-hearted uh bounty hunters we've seen some very kind-hearted uh people that do the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do and i think that that's what we're getting with mando he is relating with baby yodel here is basically he looks at it and says you know what i was in this situation and at one point the empire was going to do something to me Mm -hmm. uh, via the separatists, obviously, but you know, that's, that was going to be the result. And so I think he's looking at it that way and is saying like, you know what, maybe I have an enemy with this force wielder, but at the same time we have a common enemy, which is these people that want to harm us. And that takes the face of the empire. So here's the thing about the best car armor. About (laughs) two weeks ago, I ordered a Funko pop of the Mandalorian and it's already out of date. Like his armor is oh. all messed up. <laughs> you, you've got the, the busted up, you know, mud horn, uh, pummeled version of his armor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I guess I'm buying that, but at the same time, we, it, it speaks a lot to him. So he, he goes in and he makes this new armor and then immediately he wants to keep working. Like he's not, he's not a part of the party culture. He wants to keep working in part, I think to forget about yeah. what's going on. He's trying to numb himself and remind himself that, yeah, I'm just, I'm this, this badass with no feelings. He's trying to sell himself on the idea that he can move on from this and put it in his past. But obviously <laughs> he cannot. not, not quite as tough as nails as he thinks he is. Well, and he gets there and he picks up that little uh, metal sphere and is like, ah, oh, okay, I'm going to go save this kid. Yeah, And then this episode goes even further. It takes off even faster. And we, uh, this is the coolest thing I think is when he it, just seeing all of his weapons, like this is <laughs> such a rare occasion that we get to see a character like this, just flex all their skills and flex all their weapons within a 10 minute period. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes back and we hear the client say, extract the necessary material. I don't think we need to go into theories about what that is. I think <laughs> it's forced uh, we- juice. It's definitely forced <laughs> juice or, you know, uh, Yoda DNA or whatever it is. W- w- our worst fears that this baby was going to be experimented on and that 
you know, this is going to be a real tragedy for that little right. youngling. Um, it, that's obviously what they're indicating there. So all the more reason why the Mandalorian has no time to waste. He really has to infiltrate and just, you know, get the kid, get out and get on with things before this all catches up with him. Cause he's not stupid. He understands that he's outgunned. And if he doesn't play this really smart and do it with, while alerting as little attention as possible, it's all going to go South. And so you see him execute on that first, take out the, the door droid, then, you know, like go in the back through a hole, make sure that you're only ever, uh, in a room with two stormtroopers at one time, right? Like he's slowly infiltrating his way through. Um, yeah, we, we get a really, really nice set piece that feels almost like a video game, right? Cause they, they keep kind of keep you a first person and in, in, in his realm as much as possible. So you, you kind of feel like you're just traveling through the corridors of a, a shoot 'em up game, but really efficient and. Uh, like you said, whistling birds, you know, they, they set that up a few minutes earlier and we already get the payoff of, of what that's all about. So a lot of fun. Yeah. When you see the idea that Mandalorians crafted all this cool armor and tech because they saw the Jedi at one point in their history Mm -hmm. as a foe that was superior just because they could wield the force. So they thought we really got to up our game and we got to have just the best tools at our disposal if we're going to go toe to toe with Jedi. And so you see, you know, like. Uh, a Mandalorian can level up, you know, and they can continue to sort of build out their capabilities. That's why they have jetpacks. That's why they have ropes. That's why they have, you know, whistling birds and anything else, um, disintegrators and stun guns and all the, all the toys. Uh, so it's cool that as we go through the series, uh, we've established that anytime, uh, he needs to level up and, and have a new skill that he can put to good use as the stakes get higher. That's all just part of the whole Mandalorian thing. And, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah, and I mean, this turns into a classic shootout with the Empire, uh, and we see this kind of this not only deadly in in the the act of uh, of fighting, but the strategy. I mean, mm. his strategy behind it all is just so it's so articulated. He's got he's constantly thinking and he's outsmarting his enemy, mm-hmm. which was just so cool. And seeing all of these weapons once again was just amazing. I mean, we got to see everything at his disposal. And then he comes into conflict with the other uh, guild members because he becomes the hunted. So immediately we, and this, uh, once again, we've already known this, but uh, the client really wants this product to the point where, you know, he's not like looking and trying to get to safety. He's immediately, okay, I'm putting a bounty on you the second you walk out of here. And, oh, is that, is that how you read that scene? I, I did because it, it immediately goes off. So how'd you read it? Well, I had a slightly different take on it because again, really efficient exposition. When he goes and meets um, Carl Weathers, the facilitator, mm-hmm. they established that every bounty hunter in that community was put on this bounty. So they all had trackers for baby Yodel oh, and okay. everybody was mad at the Mandalorian because he's the one that brought it home. Mm-hmm. So everyone's sitting in the bar, licking their wounds that, they didn't get this huge prize of Beskar. That's a game changer for anyone in that room. So mm-hmm. you've got everyone on the planet just defeated, but they still have their trackers for, for baby Yodel. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that any conversation happened between Carl Weathers and the client and a new bounty was set up and they got new trackers for the Mandalorian. It was that the client simply said, okay, I'm reactivating the tracker gotcha. on Yodel. And so you get this close up shot of Carl Weathers when his tracker goes off and all the trackers in the bar light up at once because they already had them from the previous quarry. Um, 
you see Carl Weathers have a moment where he's trying to put the pieces together and he figures it out. He's like, okay, wait a minute. Baby was delivered. I know that Mando was asking questions about what they're going to do with the baby. So I know that his head isn't quite in it. Mm -hmm. And now the tracker's going off. Mando has caused some serious problems for the guild. That's Mm -hmm. what I think they were trying to say with that scene. But again, because the exposition's happening by showing, not telling, you can read it a lot of different ways. Regardless, yeah. they are out to get Mando at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think that one makes far more sense. Uh, it, but yeah, they, they go and it turns into yet another big shootout mm-hmm. and possibly one of the biggest shootouts we've seen in, in a live action star Wars in terms of, you know, blasters and explosions. Uh, like, holy cow, this was once again, <laughs> it feels like a Western, the Mandalorian he's, he's doing his best, but he is, he's getting defeated. And, once again, you get emotional because he's, and you can see it without seeing his face, which is so amazing. It's the same type of decision that he made in chapter two, whenever this space rhino was going to kill him. He's basically, <laughs> you know, kind of puts his head down, but he, he gets he, resigned to it. Yeah. I'm not going to quiver with fear, but I understand yeah. when I'm out of options. Yeah. Out of, out of, um, uh, fire fuel, out of yeah. disintegration nuggets. <laughs> it's, t- <laughs> it's time to just, you know, uh, cover the baby and, and just, it is what it is. Be at peace yeah. with it. Yeah. But also he's kind of comforting the child as well by kind of, cause you, you impl- it's implied that they're making eye contact, even though you can't yeah, see it's the a familiar eye. face that hopefully as this baby is coming out of whatever sedative it's under and you know, things are exploding around it. Mm. Give it a few seconds of comfort before everything goes south for it. It's, it's tragic and it's poignant. And again, all the feelings. Yep. Um, one thing I want to say about the scene before we get to the, the the twist in, in this set piece is this isn't brash, loud, dumb action. This is tense and it's quiet and it's a standoff and you understand where everyone is in the space. And that's so important and something that mm-hmm. a lot of directors have forgotten with modern action. They, they try to frame their action in such a way that the audience is just confused. So you can mm-hmm. paper over a lot of, you know, just bad uh, on set mm-hmm. directorial choices by having a scene that the audience no longer is trying to make sense of. Right. In this, no, we pull back. We see mm-hmm. the whole corral here. We we see where all the players are. We see how he's getting covered over. We see the the cargo speeder off to the side. We understand how far away he is from his ship because we've established the perspective mm-hmm. there. And we understand as things move forward and things, you know, close in on him exactly how much space he has to work with and how many enemies he has around him. You have that the whole time. And because you have that the whole time, it all makes sense. And you understand that even though he's getting pinned down and, and things are getting worse and worse and worse by the moment, you understand that, this isn't totally insurmountable. They haven't just made it like hordes of people or they've made it where you just don't understand how many people he's shot down compared to how many are left. You have all of this context and it makes it so much more fun to watch like an old Western where you had the whole street and it was always wide shots. Right. (laughs) And because you get that, it, it just, it tells the story so much better. And it, at least for me, it keeps me engaged in it. So yeah, high marks to Deborah Chow. If they brought her in because she knows how to deliver on a scene like this, good on them for knowing that and good on her for just having that skill. Cause this set piece told story while having fun, you know, yeah. and that's harder than it looks to pull off. And I just, yeah. I really respect it. 
And whatever job she has in the Obi-Wan series, if she's doing all the episodes, like I am just very excited to see more mm-hmm. from her in yeah. the Star Wars universe because it I think was what amazing. happened is she delivered this episode a few months mm-hmm. back when they're trying to tack down how they want to unroll Obi-Wan and they said, oh, well, we're not going to do better than what she did just there. Right. <laughs> like We, we want to keep this lady close. So yeah, high marks, high marks. Yeah. And so then the, the Mando getting back into the scene, he is accepting yes. the, the fateful death that is about to occur and then while there's no honor amongst bounty hunters, there is amongst the Mandalorians and they all come out of hiding. Yeah. And wow. It, it like, just when you think that this scene can't get any better, it goes and it gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all these Mandos, they, they come out and you know, this is the way they basically, <laughs> they help him get out of there. They don't care what the reason nope, is. It's ride or uh, die. He's one right. of us. Personal grievances aside, when one of us is in peril, we're all in peril. Suit up, ride out. Again, a Western theme, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, someone's got to have your back. Your posse's got to have your back no matter what. Um, yeah, a lot of fun. Didn't want to cut you off there if you had more you wanted to set up. Mm-hmm. But a very, very poignant moment. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm turning into an old emotional fart because these kind of scenes, they they just they just hit so good. It's kind of like, and this is corny because these are the, the most bubblegummy of movies, but like the end of... Um, uh, Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. you know, where it's the last stand and you think Thanos is going to turn things around and claim victory yet again. And then, you know, the portals open up and every Avenger and every world and every vehicle that's ever been established in the whole MCU floods out and it's like the Calvary has arrived. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but I'm just, I always feel that like right in my gut, yeah. like, yay, my friends. Uh, so. <laughs> I don't know what it was about this episode or if it's just because I had a cold and whatever, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just a little bipolar when I'm sick, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I love it when the cavalry arrives. So anyways, I'm going to step back yeah. and you take it from there. <laughs> well, it, it was very epic and yeah. I got the goosebumps watching it and, and then, you know, I'm putting all these pieces together and I'm like, I don't know if the other Mandalorians know that this is a force wielder, but if they did, it's like almost that they don't care because mm-hmm. the Mando's at the center of it. And so in doing so, they're indirectly or directly, but maybe not knowing. So helping this force wielder. And so it kind of just kind of mends these these bridges that have been burned down in the past sure. over basically <laughs> honor. And it's yeah. so it, it's so amazing just watching it. And yeah, it is emotional because you're looking at it and you're like, yeah, no one cares. Like the Mando does not care that there was this ancient record of the, these force wielders affecting him because he's looking at it. And, and I think that in my mind, I'm piecing it together of like, okay, well, when he was a child, he didn't have any beef with the Jedi because right. he wasn't in contact with them. And with this child, he doesn't have any beef with this child because it actually helped him. Yeah. And so now he's like piecing this together and we're like, okay, maybe the stories of old weren't necessarily fair to either side. Maybe there was a little more politics, a little more, um, you know, confusion surrounding this sure. whole thing. And it was just so amazing seeing the, these Mandalorians team up and fighting bounty hunters that they have more reason to defend than this force wielder. And it was just, it was so amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a lot of our head cannon. Like we're putting context on the scene that I don't think anyone in the scene is grappling with because you, right. there hasn't been enough time for anyone to really break this down and figure out what's going on. They have much more immediate concerns, but mm. because all of those immediate concerns have been well-established, we, we still follow and understand, and it doesn't feel in any way convoluted or tacked on that they showed up. And that's what I really love about this is that 
as soon as the cavalry showed up, I'm like, oh, of course. They they mm-hmm. just explained why they have to be there, why they have to come above ground, even though they don't want to. It's one of their own. Um, so that's, you know, that's the motivation that carries them. Whether they're still happy about it after they find out that they essentially saved a force wielder, we'll find out because, you know, right. deep old prejudices may uh, may run deep. But yeah, for Mando, for him, this is all about the crisis of conscience of yeah. not being willing to just give himself over to being totally callous to precious and uh, uh, a, a life that needs uh, protection. And also, you know, his journey of self-discovery of being, I'm, we're assuming a foundling or in some way displaced and needing to connect with his culture and, and figure all that stuff out for himself. Those are the big emotional things that are propelling him forward. Uh, it's just nice that they could find a way to take all those motivations that they've established and not force the characters out of what they've established to bring about the set piece, but to have it really speak to all of that. And again, it just comes down to really, really good writing and really good storytelling. Like, honestly, I don't know if we've ever seen in star Wars, maybe since the original trilogy. Right. Yeah, it it was, it was totally amazing. And one of the things that, that also was kind of shocking, even though at celebration, Carl Weathers kind of made a comment in the panel that, he wasn't, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but it basically implied like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really on the team like the rest of these guys, but I didn't, I thought he was just basically being like, well, okay, you're just, you know, you're just the, the provider, you're, you're, the, you're the businessman. But then looking at it like, oh, he actually is, now if this remains the rest of the season or the rest right. of the series, right now he's hunting the Mandalorian. Yeah, they they let him live for a reason, right? There's there's going to be more Carl Weathers, even though Mando, I'm sure, is out of the guild at this point, and he's now a rogue mercenary who probably has a bounty on his head, or just a lot of enemies who would like to settle a score. This isn't the last of Carl Weathers. No. Yeah. But so we get the Mando getting into his ship, getting off with with the with the child, and we see another Mandalorian kind of escorting him out. <laughs> yeah. Iron Man comes to salute him before he leaves the planet. Yes. <laughs> and it was so amazing where he looked over and he goes, I got to get me one of those. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome because Boba had one, right? So if the Mandalorian is in a way, a surrogate for Boba Fett. Yes. Eventually we want some jetpack action from him. Yeah. 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 And yeah, it, I don't think that there's really any more to say about this amazing episode. We, it, it's just amazing what, what this team is doing so far and in a small episode, like this is mm-hmm. 30, 30 minutes yeah, once again, five minutes. And it, it, it's so rare to get invested into something in that short of time in this age of series where it's like, everything's an hour or an hour and a mm-hmm. half. But this one, it, as soon as it, it touches down, were invested because the last episode ended on a pretty good note and now this one okay good carryover and then all of a sudden we're you know we're on the edge of our seats and it i mean it didn't feel like it was 30 minutes and the budget <laughs> itself didn't feel like this was just something that you get on a prime time slot and on abc for 30 minutes like this was some of the best television that i've seen in a very long time mm-hmm. yeah the neat thing about this show is it's walking a very clever line between the pacing and efficiency of a feature film and taking the time to do deep character development that you'd want from a TV series, but it's not going to either extreme. It's, it's finding that fun middle ground where the episodes are fast and efficient and they each tell in a way a self-contained story, but where they have to linger to build future episodes, build character motivations where they have to do some heavy lifting. 
they don't gloss over it where a feature film might just because you, you're trying to keep it, you know, around two hours or whatever. Uh, so it, it's kind of like the best of both worlds and it has both advantages at the same time because this never feels slow or boring or in any way like they're taking too much time to set the table but at the same time when these set pieces happen you don't feel like well where did that come from they didn't they didn't give me any context for why this is happening it's it's damn near perfect Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it really is this was so amazing i cannot wait to see uh just the rest of the show uh i've heard some complaints from people just like yo i need it to be longer than 30 minutes and i'm just like no, it's no. so perfect like if if an hour is gonna make it you know drag on or to make you know it feel more fillery i'm much more okay with this because we live in a world now where we get these long uh series that go on forever 24 episodes and half of those are they don't make any sense to right. the series and then they go too long and and characters are trying to find stuff to do and you're just like they just jump, get to they the, jump the shark. They have filler. You're, they, you don't have any of that here. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant. And, and for any naysayers, they got to remember that these are chapters in a story. Mm-hmm. And right. the majority of people that are going to see this over the next 20 years are going to be binging it in an afternoon because mm-hmm. 30 minute episodes, we get half a dozen, eight episodes, whatever it is. That's going to make for a really fun three to four hour epic oh, yeah. when all mm-hmm. is said and done. And that's basically like sitting down to watch the Godfather or something, right? Like you invest a solid afternoon and you get a really meaty, fully realized movie that feels very rewarding and satisfying at the end because you were able to go down so many roads with the characters and understand them at a really deep level. This is going to deliver on that when you can just watch the whole thing back to back. And that's what the majority of people are going to get from it. And I have a feeling since I think Obi-Wan is six episodes as well. Mandalorian's eight episodes, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Obi-Wan's going to be six. So I think they're thinking in a similar vein of when all is said and done, we want to be able to look at this and say, here's a much meatier, um, deeper, more well thought out movie for Obi-Wan than we could have put in the theaters because, you know, you don't want a three or four hour runtime, but Mm -hmm. for those people that can just really sit down and take it as a piece, it's all there and it's paced Mm -hmm. in such a way that it'll feel like a movie when it's all said and done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great this this was <laughs> this was great and uh yeah was there anything else no, about this episode no we dug we dug too deep as it is just uh, if the audience um is in any way confused about where we stand i think we really really enjoyed this episode and we think the season is shaping up really well absolutely well let's go ahead and get into some star wars resistance excellent so star wars resistance season two episode six from beneath Kaz and Tora are led by the Gazo Flicks to his homeworld, where they might be able to obtain some fuel for the Colossus. They find their task more difficult as Flicks does not get along with his family and as they encounter something from beneath the surface. Yes. So, Star Wars Resistance, we are slightly behind with all the stuff, just putting our focus on Mandalorian, so we apologize for that. But here we are with Episode 6 of Season 2, From Beneath, and we got a pretty interesting episode it goes away from the main story a little bit yes um so episode five we this whole season has kind of been surrounded by this theme that the colossus is constantly a threat of being stranded and uh kaz and torah are very clumsy at finding a solution but at the end they kind of find a solution right um this was another one of those episodes but we get a look into a very interesting uh 
character. So Flix and uh, and the Gazo Space Chickens is how I, what I sure. like to call them. Yeah. So so we get this character who hasn't really been established in Flix. We've kind of seen him in the background. I think that Kaz and Tor have interacted with him. A yeah, few he's times. a junk dealer when they need a part, but he's never yeah. had you know a, a standout episode before. So and now in this one, we find that he comes from a very wealthy family of. Gazian space chickens who uh, drill for some fuel and okay so here's just kind of things that had me laughing throughout this whole thing so of course he gets there he finds flanks his cousin as the manager of this drilling rig and they don't get along and flicks believes in these dragons that live below the surface and uh and and this the, the Gazians or gazo space chickens are drilling in beneath the surface so the problem I had was, okay, is he the first person to ever decide to drill that deep? Like at, in this, in this, you know, lineage of family yes. that has made their living off of drilling. Yeah. So flanks is a, he, he's a guy that just, you know, wants to keep drilling, yeah. just drill, 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 baby drill. Um, so this episode I struggled with a little bit. It had some fun moments. Any episode that's going to have some serious homage to Jurassic Park is going to be okay in my books. But my first issue with it is we're now two episodes removed from the real storyline of when is everything going to come full circle with the First Order and Tam? Like, that's what I want to know. And I know that they're going to save that for the big finale. And I know that it's driving towards something. But I feel like these let's go get some fuel episodes. well, they, they just don't leave me as satisfied. You know, right. it, it just really feels like a diversion that I could care less about. So coming into it, I just really wasn't feeling it as much as I was hoping to. I love that they give Jim Rash and Bobby Moynihan a, uh, an episode to shine because those are background characters. And I just love Bobby Moynihan, SNL alum, and he's just right. always been one of my favorites. So um, I, it had that working for it. I like those characters. The allegory itself, I don't know how well it works because you know unleashing the dragons i think it's a a comment on hubris like you know uh there's nothing that we can't do you know like the the myths of the past or whatever that's all foolishness and we don't need to pay heed to our legends or whatever like there's there's something there um but it's pretty pretty surface level uh commentary what this really devolves into very quickly is let's run from the dragons. We figure out that they're sensitive to light and they can't see us if we don't move. And how are we going to use that to get out of this peril? And then five seconds at the end, we'll have a change of heart and we'll, we'll block them back in and we'll never drill deep again. You know, we learned our lesson. So it moves pretty quickly from, uh, you know, rip roaring chase adventure back to let's put a little bow on the commentary. So we feel like there's some substance in this episode. I don't know. It, 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 it felt a little, little heavy handed and a little convoluted. And the fact that yes, these guys have had this family business for generations and they've completely sidestepped ever encountering these dragons until the exact second that, <laughs> you know, Kaz and Torah touched down. Um, you know, it just, it, it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. So it's not the strongest storytelling the show has had. It makes for a fun adventure. Dragons are great, but everything surrounding it was so dumb that mm-hmm. this is probably one of the, the few resistance episodes that we've had in, in recent memory where I don't know if I'm, I'm going to give it like a solid thumbs up because it, it just felt it felt pointless. Like it, it yeah. just, to me didn't feel necessary for the series. And I wish they had spent this 22 minutes, giving us something that 
uh, I don't know, was a, a little bit more meaningful or moved the story forward. Yeah, and I may be kind of digging for excuses here, <laughs> but but the thing that was interesting is like, okay, I'm getting the this sense of allegory, and it may just be you know uh, the education I have on my own. Sure, but at, at the same time, it, it kind of opens the door enough to where if it gives a parent leeway or a guardian leeway to sure. have this conversation with their kid if they want to. <laughs> and so, you know, if that's what they were doing, sure, you were successful, allow parents to interpret it how they wish to their children. Sure. Um, but other than that, like, I wouldn't have as much of a problem with this if this was the first episode of the season that was kind of a spinoff. But we've, it seems that we've had more episodes like this than actually focusing on what the first order and tam are doing and kaz like we don't even get a, a reference to the first order in this entire right. th this entire episode so it was just really interesting uh the dragons of course you know yeah they're cool uh i i did have problems with why is it waiting so long to eat flanks yes. like this needs to <laughs> like if this is a jurassic park type of thing he's already gone i'm sorry you don't you don't chase down the hole and try to save him he's already getting eaten by that by that dragon but for some reason, the dragon is uh, savoring the moment. I think it's because the target audience of the show is eight years old, and <laughs> you can't you can't have established talking characters who aren't villains, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, get eaten. Um, I think maybe the biggest thing that this episode had working against it is now we have the Mandalorian, mm -hmm. right? Like this is living in a serious shadow for a long time. Resistance right. was basically all we had, you know, while we were kind of waiting on the next crop of Star Wars properties to drop. And so, uh, even though it was geared towards kids and there's a lot that you have to be forgiving of, it was still fun at filling that void and just giving us something. And, uh, even its worst episode is still very serviceable and good kids entertainment. And this is no different. Like I'm, I'm grading this as an adult looking at the obvious plot contrivances and, you know, other weaknesses that way. But this is still high-end kids entertainment, and I wouldn't knock it for that. It's just at this point, I'm, I've watched a couple episodes of, of Mandalorian, and then I sit down to watch this, and you can't help but feel like, oh, well, this is a little bit more lightweight and a little bit more slapsticky, and obviously there just isn't, isn't the same satisfaction that you get from the Mandalorian. And I wonder if that's going to kind of taint our reviews a little bit from here on out, because this isn't what I'm craving each week yeah. i'm waiting for the next episode of mandalorian um but obviously we're gonna uh, we're gonna round out our resistance coverage you know we started this mm -hmm. journey we will end this journey and we've yeah. only got a handful of episodes left but for me yeah yeah i'm just waiting for the next mandalorian to be honest yeah yeah and and i am interested i haven't watched it yet but i've of course have seen the uh the promos for episode seven and it looks like they're getting yes. into some interesting territory with that but yeah, this one, I mean, you don't you don't like being negative about things you're watching and it wasn't necessarily that it was bad. Like this is fine standalone. It's got the that slapstick kid humor. Um you know, if you're of course watching this with kids, I'm sure they're enjoying it. Sure. They're not really thinking about that deeper story. But as Star Wars fans, if you're wanting to, you know, cross-pollinate here, uh yeah, we're just kind of waiting for show us what the first order is doing because this season started off so strong with showing what they're actually doing. And exactly. and I think I got my hopes up a little bit whenever I saw the first two or three episodes of the show where I'm just like, Oh wow. Yeah. We're getting into the first order. We're seeing what they're doing through Tam's perspective. This is going to be pretty great. Uh, and it's, and it's kind of going a similar pace as last season. Exactly. It, it's very much staying true to the source, not necessarily source material, but to the, the trend that season one set of the show where you get, 
you get a really deep, really great uh, storytelling episode, and then you get you know this kind of let's let's adventure give the kids the a break yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. give them an adventure and and but a lot of references to to some other things. So we get you know of course references to uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> we get uh, it, it feels a little bit Indiana Jonesy at times, and so we get sure. you know this kind of callback to the nineties and eighties and seventies and um, the classic Star Wars stuff, but. Yeah, I, I have to say, though, I don't like the space chickens. It, <laughs> they don't, out of all the things that I've seen, this doesn't feel like a Star Wars character. So throughout Resistance, when you see some of these characters, you're like, I could see that in a live action thing. I can see them crossing sure. and bringing this into live action. I can't see the space chickens in live action. You know what? If we're going to be fair to Star Wars, the first Star Wars, before they had really kind of fleshed out the universe and, mm-hmm. and set like the visual tone, you go to the first cantina scene oh, yeah. on Tatooine and you know that the uh you know designers and sculptors and costume makers they're they're out of ideas and they're like well okay let's do a walrus guy um right. oh let's just do a devil uh let's do a werewolf i think we actually got a werewolf mask in the back somewhere like yep. you <laughs> they they were basically throwing everything at the wall at that point mm. and so the idea of star wars having alien species that are analogs of real world animals the mon calamari right. you know they're lobster men yeah. <laughs> you know like we 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 take those liberties and we kind of wink at some of the characters because at its core this is supposed to be fun and we're not supposed to take it too seriously and it, it is okay to have things that harken back to something familiar so if if they want to do that, like we have a chicken pug, you know, Tora's little mm-hmm. chicken pug. We have the the chicken, the space chickens in this episode. Um, I'm okay with it just purely because this is part of Star Wars DNA. And even if it's maybe a little more over the top, this is kids fair. And that's where you can be a bit more forgiving of the more, you know, extreme and silly type of mm-hmm. creatures. So um, that's the least of my problems. I just really want this season to take off and get where it's going because there's so much more exciting things ahead. And I just thought we were going to have a steady drum beat towards the finale, yeah. the big showdown with the the first order. And I'm just waiting for it. And until they give it to me, nothing else is going to feel satisfying, especially when I can just flip over to Disney plus yeah. and hop uh, on some Mando. So, yeah. uh, yeah, that I'm just, I'm waiting. I hope that things start to pick up, but that said still perfectly fun kids fair. Yeah. And you can't fault the show for the quality. You know, it, it's always visually striking. It's always well-produced and well-acted and well-shot, you know, the creative use of camera. And it's just, it's a high caliber production. This just wasn't the high watermark for the season. And you really feel it when you got other great stuff surrounding you. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's, that's my final word. Perfectly good. But, uh, yeah, I I want, I want us to get back to, back to the, the meat of, of where season two is going to go. Yeah, and of course, if I'm telling someone, hey, you should watch Resistance, I'm not telling them sure. to watch it for episodes like this. Yes. But you have to be aware of what you're getting into. This is classic, you know, this is classic uh, Saturday morning cartoon yep, yep. type of things where the, not all episodes have to have a nice little knot on them. You know, you wake up, you're eating your cereal, you're sitting in front of the TV, and this does that job. Yes. And that's what they intended to do. You know, no, we're not knocking on Disney's door and saying you're you're producing a terrible show. It's like, no, <laughs> they know what they're doing. Right, right. They're doing it very specific. They're diversifying the audience which is a good thing and you know you don't have to like everything you don't have to be on board with everything no no, no. Um, when i think about the the really dumb kids fair that i ate up mm-hmm. as a kid you know like ninja turtles or transformers yeah. or whatever it is those are all 
really formulaic adventures of the week. The show is purely there to sell toys and they didn't have to try too hard to do anything creative with the show. They just had to churn these things out. So every day, you know, we're brainwashing the kids with, uh, you know, uh, another uh, introduction of a new character, a new toy to sell. Even though there's an element of that with Star Wars, right? Toys is a big part of it. And for kids, toys, just generally speaking, is a big part of it. There's there's no shame in that. You know, like a, a show having a merchandising aspect to it, not a problem. I'm all fine with that. But if you're going to do it, try and give the kids some quality, thought-provoking entertainment along with it. And that's the nice thing that this series, generally speaking, does. Like this episode is a little more lightweight, so this might not be the one you point to. But generally speaking, this is really, really highbrow for kids' entertainment. There's more overarching themes and, uh, you know, character motivations that are more thought provoking and make you, uh, actually, you know, have to, uh, be challenged a little bit as a child viewer to, to keep up and, and, um, you know, go along uh, on the storyline because there is a bit of a serialized nature to it where the nature of the universe mm-hmm. has changed in the midst of the show. And you need to understand that, yes, there's a tyranny out there and yes, um, that actually parallels what can happen in real life. And this is teaching me something right. about human nature. So, it has that and I applaud it for that. And I'm hoping that for the rest of the season, we get a few more episodes that I can really point to and say, look, this, this really is resistance at its best. And this is kids fair done right. And great. If you want to merchandise it, so be it, but give me more of this, you know, give me something that really can get a a kid engaged and, uh, the show is capable of it. We've seen it do it and I'm ready for some more. Yeah. And of course they're going that route. This isn't going to be, it's not going to be this way forever. Calm before the storm. That's all. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, other than that, I I think that uh, my thoughts are pretty well exhausted with this episode. Um, I am looking forward to seeing some more uh, Tam, Kaz and Tora and Niku, my boy, he's been absent. (laughs) Um, And so I'm looking forward to seeing all those things come together. uh, And yeah, but other than that, John, where can the people find you? Well, if you haven't heard by now, you can find me at snlpodcast.com. That is my other show, SNL After Party. We cover all new SNL um, and some other stuff. We interview cast alumni. I'm going to be in New York um, for the Christmas episode. So there's going to be some like boots on the ground coverage and hopefully some behind the scenes reporting about what's going on in New York. Uh, so yeah, it's a fun cast. I enjoy producing it. I hope that uh, our listeners enjoy tuning in. And uh, if that's something that you think you could get on board with, go to snlpodcast.com. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and emailing us at Zach at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can find the rest of our shows at Star Wars TV Talk.com and by searching Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a nice little five star review. And you can find other TV Talk podcasts at TV Talk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you, always.